Am I on here? Can you hear me? Let's move this right here. Well, uh, it's encouraging to be able to uh, come up here and uh, share God's Word, preach God's Word, proclaim God's Word, uh, especially after that song. I love that song. I was in the back. I was about to come out and do a little stage dive. I was ready to go. Um, but uh, please turn your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 4. You know, Brian already did a little introduction there to our, our lesson for today. And it's, uh, it's part three, part four here. Um, it's so encouraging that you can take one scripture and be able to break it down and get so much out of it. And, uh, you know, I remember as a young Christian reading Luke chapter four. And, uh, you know, this is around the time where I get to reflect about what God has done for me. Because 11 years ago, around this time, I was studying the Bible. I was dealing with my sin. I was dealing with my impurities, with my addictions. I was facing my sin for the first time with God's people next to me. And I was experiencing... God for the first time. And I'm not talking so much about an emotion, though there was a lot of emotion involved. But there was truth. There was conviction. And I remember being able to pray and just really express to God how I felt. And I remember being able to talk about all the shameful things I have, had been involved in. For the first time with other men my age. I was 18 at the time. And it just felt so good right after. During it felt weird. In between it felt weird. But after a while I was like, man, I feel so good. Like I just took a shower. But to finally make myself known for who I really was for the first time in 18 years. You know, from the age of 14 to the age of 18, just four short years, I for sure earned my ticket to hell. The sin that I was involved in, the deceit, the lies, the cheating, the pride, the impurity, the arrogance, both sins of the heart and outward sins. And to... Finally, understand that God can forgive of my sin. And I grew up going to church and I knew that God could forgive my sin. In fact, I thought God had already forgiven me, but I still felt guilty. Because I didn't know what repentance was. I didn't know what baptism was for. I didn't know what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, according to Jesus. And I remember around this time, 11 years ago, reading the entire book of John over one night, taking some notes, and the next day, knowing I love Jesus. That it wasn't an emotion, but it was a decision. He's who I'm going to follow. He's who I'm going to be like. And I remember experiencing freedom. And on March 25th, I got to confess Jesus as my Lord, and I was baptized into Him. 
And I remember coming out of the water and I had an inexpressible joy. You know when your face twitches a little bit and you kind of just can't help it? And I just hugged the brother that baptized me. And afterwards I was a little self-conscious, you know, but I'll never forget that day. Because I really believe that that day I received the good news because I was poor. That I became wealthy. That the chains of my sin were unlocked. That I now had a vision for my life. That I had freedom. And that's our theme for today. To set the oppressed free. You know, if you're on Facebook, there's a lot of talk right now. A lot of great things happening among people all over the world. Social networking just to get involved in helping people in need. It's so encouraging. I heard it somewhere a few weeks ago, uh, or I read somewhere, I can't remember, it said something along the lines of, every generation has an opportunity to change the world. And it was in the context of, this is this generation's turn. So grateful for the teen ministry. My wife was converted in the teen ministry. We met in the campus ministry. We come from very broken back homes and, and families, structures that are just been broken. You know, the church has raised Tina and I. I don't know where I would be without the kingdom, without the church, without discipling. We're so grateful when we were, we were asked to, you know, to come to, to the South Bay and the West LA because in South Bay we have so many families, so many fathers and mothers in Christ. And we're so grateful to be able to be back. And so I remember as a young Christian reading Luke Luke chapter 4, and now from, now I'm free, now what do I do? And reading what Jesus was all about, the intensity in His words, the passion, the zeal. He didn't get tired. He did. He took naps every now and then, but the guys would wake him up and say, hey, we're going to drown. Wake up, Jesus. And he'd wake up and calm the storms and, you know, probably take another nap. I don't know. But I remember reading there, Luke chapter 4 and seeing, wow, Jesus, there's more to Jesus than what I just studied. Of course there is. Eleven years later, I'm still realizing this, man, there is so much more to Jesus. One of my annual goals is, man, God, I want to know Jesus better. I want Him to be more real in my life. You know, oppressed. What does that mean? The definition is to burden with cruel or unjust impositions or restraints, subject to the burdensome of, or harsh exercise of authority or power. Some of the teens would be like, yeah, that's my, that's my parents. <laughs> no! No! Don't go there! But you know, I don't think none of us have ever really experienced physical oppression. Maybe some of us have. If you're from a third world country, maybe you have or you've seen it more clearly. But it's interesting, as Jesus read 
right there in Luke chapter 4. You guys are there, right? As he finished reading, reading this passage, it says he rolled it up, he gave it back to the attendant in verse 20, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Well, who's everyone? Who was there? You know, prior to this passage, if you go and you read John chapter 1, verse 19, to John chapter 4, verse 45, that's what happened before Jesus got to Galilee. And in that is John chapter 2, where Jesus steps into the temple and He sees what the people were doing to the temple. That they had made it into a marketplace. And the temple where He walked in was the the place for the Gentiles, the non-Jews to come and worship God, and they were making a profit from the Gentiles. And Jesus flipped the tables. He drove out the cattle. And at the end there of John 4.45, it says that, you know, after that, Jesus went into Galilee. And that... In Galilee, the Galileans were waiting for Jesus because they had, they had seen what Jesus had done at the Passover. So who was sitting right here? The people that saw Jesus flip tables. Who is that guy? He just cost me some money. But I like what he said. I'm sure it was a full house that day. Hey, we have a guest speaker. Who? Jesus. Who? The guy that... I'm coming. And so they have the guest speaker that day. And here is the guest speaker. Everyone's looking at him. And they, as Brian described, or the Scripture says, that you know they give him the, the scroll and he just reads this passage and he sits down. And he doesn't sit down because he's done. That was a custom. They would sit down and then do the lesson. The sermon... And it says afterwards, it says there, everyone was so moved. They're like, they're, they're praising him. Man, this guy's amazing. Verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. He's our own. We have someone to represent us here. They're really proud of him. But Jesus, you know, the sermon didn't stop there. The sermon continued because Jesus is both Lord and Savior. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And so He was done with the grace part and everyone loved it. But as He continued into the truth part, their hearts changed. And He starts quoting Old Testament passages and Old Testament prophets of people that were Jews, prophets, that would go and encourage and serve the Gentiles. And their national pride was pricked. And they were upset that Jesus kept lifting up the Gentiles. And they said, hey, what about us? And the point that I'm trying to make here is that these people that were in the synagogue they were not addicted to anything. They were not out there being crazy sinners. 
They didn't fail in their life where they hit a wall and I, uh, uh, like I did, like Aaron shared about, like many of us did. These were kids that had grown up in the synagogue that were now young men, young adults. But Jesus saw them as oppressed. They didn't see themselves that way. They would say, man, those guys that don't come to the synagogue. And I say that to encourage us to not compare ourselves here with ourselves. Well, I'm not that bad. I'm not. You know, I've never even gotten drunk. Well, that's good. That's encouraging. You don't want to do that. You'll regret it. But you know, for the teens here that have grown up in the church, it's easy for us to not see ourselves in need of God. Because we make an assumption saying, hey, well, I, have, I haven't experienced life yet. Well, if you have that mentality, you'll probably be up here one day saying, yeah, I messed up really big. And half of those people that have grown up in the church that go and mess up really big, they don't ever come back. So do you really want to gamble your, your life in this great opportunity? And that's what these men were doing. They, were, they just kept seeing themselves as so great. They wanted Jesus to benefit themselves. And Jesus kept saying, no, we're going to encourage and serve the Gentiles. And they're like, what, what about us? It's the Gentiles that are oppressing us, the Romans. But they had it all wrong. You know, his mission was to change the world, not the synagogue, not just Israel, but the world. You know, the questions, we're going to have three questions here today. What is your mission in life? Who do you live for? And maybe these are common questions that you ask people a lot, or, but it's good to take, take inventory here. And if you're a mature Christian, you're, you're, you're more relatable to the synagogue people. I'm 11 years now as a Christian. I relate more to the synagogue people. Sins of the heart. Pride. Do you need to be set free? Teens, teens, do you guys know what this is? You know, there's a movie that came out this week. It's a follow-up to the Invisible Children documentary. And I saw it last night and it just changed the sermon. I was in tears. Stayed up most of the night. Just watching it, thinking about it. But you know, we look at that situation of children that are abducted and made into soldiers. They're desensitized. They're sent to kill their parents. Their siblings. Those are children that for sure are oppressed. And need our help. But you know, we're also children of God. That can be oppressed by many things. And we're going to talk a little bit about that here today. I'll show you a clip. Because all your kids have probably seen it. Is the sound on? I can start over. It's all good. And I'm not showing this so much as to promote this cause, though I think it's a great cause. 
I'm more showing it because I think it's a great parallel to the spiritual battle. And in no way do I want to look down on that cause. Nor do I want to highly elevate it on our Sunday service. But I want to use it as an example. And parents, you should check it out because all your kids are watching it and and thinking about it. And again, every generation has an opportunity to change the world. Maybe it won't work. Jacob. And Jacob was discovered ten years ago in Uganda. And he was a child who was abducted to be a soldier and he escaped. And these guys that were just down there filming, making a documentary, ran into him. And they heard his story and it changed their life. And they made it their ambition and their mission to help kids like him. And so it just kind of goes through the story. And this is the night that they they ran into him and it's recorded on film. A soldier comes and says, hey, you need to turn off your cameras. But later they run into him again. And they start interviewing. And they start talking to him. And you see the childlike heart in Jacob coming out. And here he's talking about how he escaped. And how he's in constant danger, him and his peers. And he's talking about how they, he witnessed when they cut his brother's throat and killed him. Show you another clip here, real quick. The movie goes on as to what their plan is. And the plan is to make Joseph Coney famous. And so you're probably going to be seeing a lot of billboards or things like that about that just simply say Coney 2012 or so. And they want to make him famous to let people know who he is and what he's been doing for 20 years. You know, to me, what's heartbreaking is that there's many of these kind of men. But not just that. Those are the obvious people that are oppressed. But what about the ones that are oppressed here in South Bay? What about some of us sitting right there knowing we have no control over our sin? You know, there's many parallels of Coney and Satan. There's many parallels of Jacob and you and I. And there's many parallels of this filmmaker and God. Because God saw that we needed a Savior. And He sent His Son to us. How many of us can say we are good enough to go to heaven? None of us. How many of us need a Savior? All of us. How many of us are worth the death of Jesus? To God, you are worth the death of Jesus. That is why He came to release you of your sin, of your guilt, to pay the price. So how should you do when it will make a little sign? Should you be involved in a cause like this? Absolutely. Especially how? 
in prayer. I urge you then, first of all, that prayer, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. The Bible even calls us to pray for Joseph Coney. And some of us be like, "How I can, I can never." That was the synagogue's people's attitude. For the kings of all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, which is what Jacob desires. This is good and pleasing to God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the what? Knowledge of the truth. The understanding of who God is. The understanding of His plan. The understanding of Jesus' love for you. The understanding of God's plan to seek and save the lost and to save the world. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all men. The testimony given in its proper time. Jesus gave Himself as a ransom to save and free you and I. So who is oppressed? Who is burdened with cruel, unjust impositions or restraints? Who is subject to to a burdensome or harsh exercise of authority or power? I think all of us. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 5, it says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, lowercase g, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. What does God want? God wants everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. What does the God of this age do? He blinds the mind of unbelievers. If you're sitting in the audience, and perhaps you're here for the first time, or the second time, or the third time, or so, and in your mind, you're confused about what the Bible says, you're in danger, or perhaps you've already been blinded. Because the Bible is so simple to understand. So that you can't use that as an excuse of, I don't really understand the Bible. It's so confusing. And who wrote it? Hey, you have more than 100 people here to help you out with those answers. And they're very simple. But do you want to hear? Or do you want to stay blinded? So that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God that the God of this age can distract you so much that He can blind you and you don't see the light? Who is oppressed? For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as Your servants for Jesus' sake. If anyone says, well, you know, I had a really bad experience with this one Christian, da 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 you're oppressed. The Scripture says our focus needs to be Jesus. Not even Paul. Not some Christian. Not some pastor. Not some guy on TV or on the street corner. But Jesus Himself. Don't be oppressed. Who is oppressed? Well, first, we, we know all of us can be. But look at this passage. Let's go to Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. Who is the oppressor? This, we're just going to talk about just one of three temptations that Jesus was tempted with. 
Verse 1, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, returned from the, from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for forty days He was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them He was hungry. The devil said to Him, imagine that, you're so weak, you've been fasting for forty days here. And the devil just comes. And this is what the devil says. Of all the things, this was thought out by him, by the enemy. How can I get Jesus to compromise? He wasn't going to get Jesus to sin right away. He starts off with a little compromise. How can I get him to start thinking my way just a little bit? So I can begin to blind his mind. So I can get him to make some assumptions about God and about the people he's going to help. The same way you and I are tempted making assumptions about God and about God's people. And making assumptions about those that are far off. Oh, they're not open. Who's oppressed? Who needs to be set free? And so here, he just says simply, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Do those stones look like bread if you've been starving for 40 days? They look pretty good. One of them looks like it's got a little frosting or something. I saw this picture when I was hungry. After two hours of not having something to eat. But you know, what's implied in this question is, if you want followers, give them things. Bribe people. He wanted Jesus to start making a political move. Get people in. Give them something. Do we see that happening? Oh, yes. But not by Jesus. Use your power for your own good. Instant gratification. You're hungry. You deserve it. It's been 40 days. Get yourself some. If you are the Son of God, the temptation of identity, which for the teens, that's our main battle. Who am I? Who do I want to be? I mean, for all of us, it started in the playground, right? Hey, I dare you to. What does that mean? Well, if you're, if you're brave enough, you're going to do what I'm going to tell you. Sam used one simple question, but it was such a loaded question. Wanting him to question his identity. Or the other, you're hungry. There's something wrong with God's love. You're in need. Can we see God that way? Something goes wrong? I know I do. God, why are you doing this to me? I start whining, complaining, or I stop praying. Or I stop listening at service because something is wrong. Do you guys relate to some of these? And the other one, he wanted to separate spiritual and physical life. And for us, parents, if we fail here, we're going to lose our kids. 
Because if they see two lives, one at church life and one at home life, you're setting them up for the devil to have some hangout time with them. In their mind. Because they will confuse church, Christianity, with religion. All of us are tempted to be oppressed again. Some of us are still there. Some of us have been rescued, but we've drifted and gone back to certain sins and mentalities or issues in our hearts. We need, we need a Savior. <coughs> what is your mission in life? His divine power has given us what? Everything we need for life and godliness through our what? Knowledge of Him. If you're here, visiting with us, or you're new to the Bible, or you're new to Christianity, or you've never really thought about it before, we want to encourage you and invite you to study the Bible and simply find out what the Bible says about Jesus. Who Jesus is according to the Bible. I'm so excited in the team ministry. We had clubs on in high schools. We call them Truth Be Told. TBT. And the main thing that we do is we want to empower students to know what what the Bible says. And every year, every semester, we run into students 16, 17, 18 years old who have never read the Bible as adults. And you ask them, have you ever read the Bible before? Yeah, how old were you? Oh, like eight. And in their mind, they know. And they have opinions about the Bible too. Wait a minute, you have an opinion about the Bible, but you haven't read it? Wait, you have an opinion of what's right and wrong, but you have no idea what God says? I'm sorry. You're telling me about heaven and hell, but you have n- you've never read the Bible? And it's so encouraging that the Bible says we, we, we've been given everything we need. That means for those of us that are Christians... We can go the rest of our lives without another blessing and we would be alright. But God is just generous. Amen for that. Of Him who called us to His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises that when you become a Christian, that the whole Bible, the whole promises of the Bible are now yours. So that, again, the question is what's What's the mission in your life? Through them you may what? Participate. Being a Christian means you have a mission and you can now participate with God. Not just freeing kids in some place in the world, but your neighbor as well. But your children as well. Your parents as well. Your spouse as well. All people, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Why is this a fallen world? Because of us, of our evil desires. We give Satan too much credit. He just asks the question and we go for it. We do the thing. The serpent never gave Eve the fruit. Eve took it herself. 
Satan just points the way and we go ahead and fall in. Make the decision. We make ourselves oppressed by sin. But we need freedom. And we have one who has given us everything we need or who wants to give you everything you need so that you can participate in Christianity. Not in religion, but in a relationship with God. That's freedom! Some of us, we in the teens, what we find out sometimes, there's so much assumptions that we look at Christianity like a sad kid looking out the wall, out of the window and everyone's playing. What are you doing? I'm being a Christian. I can't do that. Or that. I think I'm struggling. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a contact sport. It was so encouraging to go with Matthew Keys and Justin Shop on, I believe it was Wednesday, to go share our faith. And we just went to the, to the Manhattan Village Mall and, you know, it was like 30 steps and you're like, that's it! That was the mall. But, you know, we ran into a few people and we invited them to church. And guess what happened? These people were open. They gave us their number because that was our goal. Let's, let's get their phone number so we can call them and not just say, may the Lord be with you. But to really say, hey, would you like to come to church? Would you like to study the Bible? We can study the Bible with you. You know, Matthew Keys is, uh, I believe, 16 years old. He shared his faith with a man who looked to be in his 40s. And the man said to him, I have too much in my mind right now. He has too much in his mind right now. The God of this age has blinded people's minds. And you know what he told this 40-year-old man, told this 16-year-old teen? I'm going through a divorce right now. Why would he share that with a 16-year-old teen who just barely walked up to him and invited him to church? This man is hurting. He's oppressed. But it was so encouraging for the teens to witness that and to hear that because they're participating with God. And Matt, afterwards, he felt so bad. He felt like, man, I could have said something else to him. I wish I knew a scripture on the spot that I can share with him. And I was convicted because I'm like, man, I didn't, I didn't have that heart. I was just hoping you learned a great lesson there. But what happened to Matt? He got to participate. And he started feeling what God feels. That that 40-year-old man, that's his son. That's lost. That needs freedom. That's a family that's now going to be broken. That's another child that's going to be raised in a broken home. And chances are that child is probably going to have a broken home himself when you look at the statistics. Unless God intervenes. So what's the mission in your life? You're going to watch this video, man, and you're going to want to fly out to Uganda and just say, hey, let's do this. Where's this dude, Coney at? <laughs> and amen for that. But do you want the full mission? To not just help someone physically. To not just free them physically but spiritually as well. So that they too can receive everything they need, not from you, but from God. 
We have such a great mission. If we're bored, we're in sin. Let's just write that one down. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Do you, who do you live for? In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter there as an old man, now as an elder, is talking to young Christians there. He says, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Who do you live for? That's a great question to ask. Who do I live for? Most likely, the answer is, I live for myself. I go to school for myself. I go to work for myself. Me, me, me. In fact, when we wake up in the morning, who do we think about? Oh, what am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? What do I have to do today? We're so consumed with self. The Bible calls us to be servants of God. To cry for what God cries about. To be passionate for what God is passionate about. That we need to do some, some internal table flipping in our hearts. Getting rid of things because our body, our heart is God's temple. And if anything else is competing with it, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. Show proper respect to everyone. I'm going to read that again for the teens. Show proper respect for everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the King. Basically, at the end, we've got to pay our taxes. How does a free person live? You take responsibility for your actions. What does that mean? The Bible says that you need to watch how you live and that you need to know what the Bible says. And both of them need to match. There's grace and truth. They love the grace part. They didn't like the truth part. Some of us, we love the truth part. We need to have more grace. We need to watch our life and our doctrine. How you live and what the Bible says are equally important. How does a free person live? You get to choose this. You choose to do the right thing. If you don't choose to serve God, then you're not serving God. And who's not serving God? Everyone else. So to be free is when you start making decisions, right? You're 14, you're 15, you're 16, you're like, Mom, let me do my own thing. Dad, can you talk to her? You choose to do the right thing. And the right thing is to what? To serve God. You're truly free when you serve God. When your life and your doctrine match. When you participate in the divine nature. So who do you live for? You need to choose to do the right thing and serve God. For those of us that are Christians, I want to encourage you to evaluate your heart. What is the one thing in your heart that you need to get rid of so that Christ may dwell in you richly? Maybe an attitude with someone in the room. It may be doubt in a certain area of your life. It may just be a, a habit, a, a sinful habit of not working things out in your marriage right away. 
of not giving your heart to a discipling relationship, of not sharing with that person at work that you've been praying about since 2011. And for those of us that are here for the first time, to choose the right thing is to start studying the Bible. Not even to become a Christian. Not to become something you're not ready for. Simply to know God. And if anything, understand this. If in your heart you know you're not a Christian, and you simply don't, that doesn't scare you at all or move you at all, you're okay with where you're at, understand this. At least you know where you're at. You're oppressed. And you've been blinded by the God of this age because you are fearful of what others are going to say about you instead of trusting God who you're going to see in Judgment Day. What are you going to tell Him? And so where are you at? Are you free? Do you need to be set free? Luke 11 Verse 23, it's just as challenging to us and to people as that sermon at the synagogue in Luke chapter 4 was. Because God says, He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. There's two kinds of people this morning here. Ones that are with God and for God and ones that are against God. That's a tough sermon. So with that, I'll roll up the scroll, and I'll head out.